Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're an inner city black boy who doesn't have many options, youth clubs are closing down. There's a whole trajectory of life that happens for all these black boys to become youth offenders. But people like to go, oh, they're just bad. Oh, they're just they're naughty just, kids. Yeah. Or, you, no one's like, born bad. I'm, Listen, and, and what you're basically saying when you say that, what you're saying when you say that is that black kids are bad. You might not say it verbatim, but that's essentially what people are saying. <laughs> like, because you're saying, mm. oh, they're, they're naughty, they got in trouble because they broke the law. It's the why that I don't hear enough. It's the why conversation. Why did they break the law? Why is this keep happening? Why is there so many black boys when we're such a tiny, tiny proportion of the whole UK population? Why are there so many black boys, you know, getting arrested, being put in jail? From Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture, this is Vent Documentaries. Young people from one London borough telling you the stories we care about. This is Series 3, where we're talking about justice. I'm Nora. I go to a school where I see people getting kicked out quite a bit. Not going to lie, in my experience, almost all the time it's black boys. Black adults are disproportionately represented in the criminal justice system too. I want to know why black kids are the most likely to get kicked out of school. I used to know this guy called Giovanni. Oh, Giovanni Headley, yeah. How old are you? 17. Giovanni is a tall, young black man. He's 17, just one year older than me. But he looks a lot older than he actually is. He's got one of them faces that's quite serious. Like, if you see him on road, he won't smile at you necessarily. But one thing I can say is he's a lot less intimidating than he comes across. He's actually jokes. He was one of them boys who was just around when I was growing up. I knew he'd been kicked out of school when he was young, so I hit him up. Did you actually enjoy school? Did you like it? Nah, school was fun, man. School was fun, obviously. Your grades were good. Nah, yeah, academically, I've always been on top still, on top of my game, but when it comes to, like, messing about, trying to be that cool kid... Oh, distractions. Yeah, man. It's just all distractions, to be honest. But work-wise, always on the ball. So you left school when you was then 13? 13, yeah, let's say that. So what were the circumstances that led you to getting kicked out of school? Can you set the scene for me? Um... I'd done a lot of wrongs, you know, tried to be business-minded in a a place of education, which obviously can't work, and that was the cause. Okay, for those of you who are a bit slow on the uptake, when someone my age from where I'm from says they were trying to be business-minded, they mean they were shot in. Okay, do you still not know what shot in means? It's stealing drugs. How did you get into that? Like what turns you to Just mixing them with the wrong people, isn't it? Just, just mingling with the wrong crowd. Okay, so you was 13, so when you was like hanging around these people, like you said, they weren't your age, were they? No. They was older? Yeah, man. 
I did it's not saying I had to be an adult before my time, but just mingling with the adults just make just made me grow before my time, you know what I mean? So when TikTok was still musically, and I was about 12, banging out that song FIFA the night, Giovanni was out here, 13, and getting into a sticky situation at school. Doing whatnot in school, selling in school. Things started to get on the radar. Teachers started to notice. Doing a little investigation, operation type of thing. Shit hit the fan. Statements were written. Trying to put the blame on someone. And clearly the blame was on me. So that's why I left school. I got kicked out of school. Out of the group of kids who were selling drugs at school, he was the only one who got kicked out. So then what happened next after that? What did you do? Out of school, dilly-dallying on the roads, find another school placement. They've given me a second chance, gone there, still continuing the same bad behaviour, not really given any care in the world about what I'm doing. So they've just removed me from their school. And I just thought to myself, I'm not looking back. And I just continued to just do what I was doing, you know. I weren't really focused on school after I got kicked out the second time. He was still only 13 when he got removed from that second school he was put in. That was four years ago, and he's not been in permanent education since. Never really went to school, to be honest. I understand it was not right for Giovanni to sell drugs in school, but kicking him out didn't stop him doing illegal stuff. I've always been in crime. Not happy, not proud, but... from getting kicked out of school till now, always been in crime. Always been... in the system. What would have stopped me from doing what I used to do would have probably been working legitly but obviously you can't work at at that type of age at that age so I just thought I just thought yeah why not just do this see if I can make a little bit of change it's crazy that me and Giovanni are from the same place and we're basically the same age but have completely different lives I've just started my A-levels and Giovanni spent the last four years trying to make money on the roads. Things have got even worse for him recently. Uh, The other day I got stabbed. I was on the roads, my friend stabbed me. I was an eye-opener, you know what I mean? Boy, out there at night is is not a nice feeling. What would have been different if you stayed in school? I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be doing the things I was doing. I'll probably be in college right now, off to uni or something. But it doesn't go like that for everyone, you know what I mean? Giovanni's doing a lot better now, and we'll hear from him again later. But to be honest, this really stuck with me. The way Giovanni sees it is being kicked out of school just meant that his only option was to continue the illegal stuff he was doing. And he ended up being stabbed by someone he thought was his friend. 
surely that's not something any teacher would want for their student, even if they were doing illegal stuff in school. So who decides that a student is going to get removed from school? Um, It's very clear. The legislation is quite clear about um, permanent exclusion. That's the targeted inclusion service manager in Brent Council, Stephen McMillan. My job is to manage a team who will support those children who are at risk of exclusion. And then also my team look after those children when they have been or if they have been permanently excluded. All right. So the first thing I learned from Stephen, permanent exclusion is the proper way of saying kicked out of school. Stephen said there's a specific bit of legislation that schools use to decide if someone will be permanently excluded. It's in response to a serious breach or persistent breaches of the school's behaviour policy and uh, we're allowing the pupil to remain in school would seriously harm the education or welfare of the pupil or others within the school. The only person who can permanently exclude a young person from a school is the head teacher. The head teacher has to inform the parents and has to inform the governors and the local authority. So I get notification. Within 15 days of that permanent exclusion, the governors have to come together to either uphold the head teacher's decision or to say to the head teacher, no, um, you've made the wrong decision here. We're going to overturn that permanent exclusion. At that meeting, the parents would be supported by ourselves or they can take a friend or a legal advisor with them and at that meeting they can put forward their case and if the young person wants to, they can also speak at that meeting. From the head teacher issuing the permanent exclusion letter, the local authority has five days in which to find that young person a permanent school place. This permanent school place takes the form of either a pupil referral unit, also known as PRU, which is basically a small school for people who've been permanently excluded from other schools. Or you get some form of alternative provision, which is basically education outside of school, arranged by your local authority. Following that, if the parents or young person disagree with the governors, they can go to an independent review So if you like, there are two checkpoints for parents to go to if they feel that the permanent exclusion decision was not correct. So I know that headteachers have the final decision on permanent excluding young people from school. So that must be a lot of pressure for you, right? How do you feel about having that responsibility? It's a big decision. It, It makes a huge difference to a child's life, potentially. That's John Taylor, a head teacher or principal, as he calls it, of UAE Southbank, a secondary school in South London. I spoke to him because I wanted to know what it's actually like to be the person who's in charge of permanently excluding someone from school. But I think that I don't think anyone else should carry the responsibility because the head teacher is the person that knows the child and knows the family and has the authority to provide as much support as they can and knows how much support has been provided. Could you give me an example of the kinds of behaviours you're having to deal with when considering permanently excluding students? I have thought about permanently excluding children um, if they have brought a knife into school and shown that knife and that has, we, we consider that to be an incredibly unsafe and 
destabilizing situation because, you know, for a lot of our kids, the area they live in, they don't feel particularly safe and they need to feel safe in school. I have thought about it when we've identified that a student is actively targeting vulnerable students to engage them in gang activity outside the school, and that has happened. Any behaviour where you feel, you know, initially, can, is there anything else I can do to make sure the other students are safe and secure in school? If there's nothing else that you can do and you still feel the students are not safe and secure, then you may have to take that decision. Um, and on top of that, is everybody able to learn? Is it a productive learning environment um, or not? Oh, this is a really hard thing to balance, I think. Like, obviously, it's important for students to feel safe in school, but surely that should be all students, right? Trust me, I know kids who carry knives because they don't feel safe. Head teachers are having to make the decisions for the majority of students at the expense of the person who's being excluded. But it's very rare, Nora. You know, it's very rare. The, I've been looking at the stats, actually. Last year, one in every thousand students was permanently excluded from schools in England. It's reassuring to hear that permanent exclusion is so rare. But it still happened to Giovanni. And four years later, he's still trying to get his life back on track. Stefan, is there a certain type of student who is permanently excluded? Like, is it predominantly black boys? If so, why do you think this is? That's a really good question. Stephen McMillan. Within Brent, we do have a disproportionate amount of students, uh, boys from a black Afro-Caribbean heritage who are permanently excluded. The reason for that, um, I really don't know. Well, that's, I mean, gosh, that's a great question, Nora, and, and we struggle. You need to look at the characteristics of students that are excluded that they have in common, and one of the, the biggest common factors is poverty. There's also, obviously, you know, for black Caribbean communities, a, a history of racism in society, which means that their parents may have had a very negative experience of school. And then, and then we need to look at, you know, is there inherent racism in, in the system? Is there inherent racism in the system then, yeah? That's next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're back. Black Caribbean children in particular are three and a half times more likely to be excluded than all other children at primary school, secondary and special schools. So it's just every level in, in, in um, the secondary education system. It's, and, and before, it's sort of really putting a massive dampener on people's prospects, on black children's prospects. This is Cuba Shan Baptiste. 
I'm uh, the Deputy Voices Editor at The Independent. Teachers' biases, teachers' impressions of certain behaviours, they can have a really massive long-term impact on, on black children's education. If there are specific cultural ties to any behaviours, like kissing your teeth, for example, you might interpret that as being inherently rude. So I've heard teachers say before that it's swearing and that it means the F word. And it doesn't mean that at all. 85.9% of all teachers in English state schools are white British and they generally tend to have lower expectations of black students and, yeah, are more likely to negatively judge or more severely discipline students from... who Students that are children of colour, basically. It, it doesn't really put kids in a very good position to thrive or to do well when every single thing they do and every part of who they are is second-guessed or is sort of seen as an offence in itself. Cuba had this one teacher in primary school who she still thinks about. She'd do things like play uh, Sam Cooke's Chain Gang, which is a song that's pretty much about, I guess, men in prison working in a chain gang and sort of breaking rocks and that sort of thing. She played it, and when we were doing sort of working or do whatever children do <laughs> when the teacher's not directly telling them what to do, and she'd sort of point to me and say, like, this is your song, you love this song, don't you? And I remember thinking it was... I knew it was strange, but I just didn't know how to articulate that, sort of at, what, nine years old? <laughs> I've had experiences like this. Quite often, I've felt like me and my black friends are asked to stay behind after a lesson, even if the other kids were misbehaving too. There's been loads of times where I've kind of felt like teachers are treating me differently, even if they aren't being direct about it. I guess the, the feeling of not having complete trust in your teachers, it can... It means that you have, you're less likely to maybe engage with work, to take anything they're saying seriously. It's harder to to participate in, in, in classes generally when you know that the person who's running them doesn't respect you or doesn't think that you're worth listening to. And then when you consider all the other ways systematic racism affects black young people, we're more likely to experience poverty, we're disproportionately stopped and searched by the police, and on and on. It's not surprising that we're sometimes less trusting of authority. And that could lead to talking maybe in class or I don't know doing anything other than what you're being asked to do and I feel like when I was in primary school I was quite mouthy and would end up outside the head teacher's office all the time that was usually in response to things that I thought were wrong when you're a child and you feel like something an adult is doing is wrong it's really difficult to call them out unless you have someone who's championing you and, and, and telling you you should challenge those things So, you know, when you got kicked out, were there any adults um, apart from, like, your parents, like, representing you, supporting you? Not really. We're back with Giovanni. Obviously, the system that I had, that I thought I had on my side, weren't really on my side, you know what I mean? OK. So I just started to just do my own little thing. And since my downfall with school till now, I actually thought I couldn't get back into school. Yeah, I thought it was really hard to get back in, man. Until I met I met her for like a month, less than a month, got into a little facility. 
We had to beep that name, but Giovanni's talking about his probation officer. Giovanni got arrested for some of the criminal activity he was involved in, and because he's still under 18, he was referred to the youth offending team, also known as Yop. That's where he finally met an adult he felt like was on his side. Big up my probation officer. Yeah, she definitely helped me. Couple people in the yacht um, service, they've helped me. This is the thing that's the most mad about Giovanni's story. Right now, he's in a pretty good place, yeah? Looking to turn his life around, applying to college and rare tear. But to get to that place, he had to commit a crime and be referred to the youth offending service at the council. So you're trying to tell me he had to do this much wrong in order to get the proper attention he needed? Something just feels deeply wrong about that to me. Hi, my name is Sam Olabaju. I am a member of Brent Council staff. I work in the Youth Offending Service, um, specifically um, supporting young people into education, employment and training. The Youth Offending Service is the same as the Youth Offending Team. Basically, Sam works at the place Giovanni was referred to after he got arrested. We know about you know, kids getting exploited about yeah, 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 about 100. the oldest getting the youngest to, to do yeah, stuff for them I for a little money. Yeah, there like you go, it. there you go. And, and I used to live in Harlem, so I know. I, I, Is like, it? You That's know, for, yeah. Oh, for real, come on. Yeah. North Weezy. North Weezy, <laughs> big up. <laughs> Sam spends a lot of time thinking about why there's a disproportionate number of black boys being permanently excluded from school. A lot of times, the people that make the decisions about the kids are not people who understand the cultures of these kids. So ultimately, the kid goes back to their home and their home environment. And whatever's normal there is what's normal there. So your normal is not necessarily my normal. Now, they come into the school system, which is very tailored for a specific type of young person, and you're telling them to behave like how you expect them to behave because that's the culture you've come from. Like, my mum could have a normal conversation and, like, my mum was... She was mixed, but she was mainly Nigerian. If you heard my mum talking, you might think there was a fight going in. Like, you might think there was beef in it. (laughs) But really, it was just a normal conversation. She was happy. But she shouted down the... And, uh, you know, just like with everything and just like with people, just like with people, legislation is open to interpretation. And if it's always the same type of person excluding the same type of kid, Mm -hmm. there's a pattern in it. You don't understand the kids. You don't know why they're behaving how they're behaving. You don't know the social dynamics at play when you're a black kid growing up in a very white country. There's bad things going on. There's psychological things going on, which we have to understand better. We have to address better as a society. Do you know what I mean? So, so yeah, that's, that's my feeling on it. The youth offending, the reason why I have a job is because kids are slipping through the net. The reason why the YOS, the youth offending service, exists and managers are getting paid and senior managers are getting paid is because kids slip through the net. Because if there were no young offenders, all of us don't have a job. If a kid is four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, because remember they can start coming to the YOS when they're from, I think it is eleven? I think it's like eleven or twelve. If you're telling me that they went through the whole education system from, what, four, three, four to 11, 12, mm. and you couldn't help them, is there something wrong with them or is there something wrong with the system? I just think that young people continuously fall through the cracks in the system, and especially young black boys, because that is who I work with. Most of the time, all my kids are black. (laughs) There's something wrong with that. You know, it's like the police 
and and say a black guy. Mm. I think in the wider sense, there's always an assumption, there's an automatic assumption that the police are going to be right. Do you know what I'm saying? I think, exactly. I think, for instance, when most people see a news story, if they are not black, and I, and, and again, I don't want to generalise, uh, but I'm going from my experience and the kind of conversations I've had with people and things I've heard people say. Um, in my experience, there's a presumption of the police being right. Just like in the teacher-student situation, there's a presumption that when someone's a professional and when they mm-hmm. have the credentials behind their name, that they are in the right. And my concern and part of the reason why I do this job is that young people are not equipped to defend themselves. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they're not equipped to, to have that fight as I wasn't. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't equipped. I didn't I didn't have the knowledge or someone going, I'm gonna be your advocate. I'm gonna advocate on behalf of you. Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. I think that's what that's what we're missing. John, the head teacher I spoke to, explained that often schools don't have the capacity to care for all students in the way they want to because of underfunding. You know, over the last 20 years or so, we've gone from schools and local authorities and social services all working together. We've got a fragmented system. Um, I think we are pretty inclusive and caring in school and do everything we can. But if I talk to Southwark Local Authority, for example, they've, they've had cuts of 40% or so to their funding in the last two years. What can they do when I say, what family support what, you know, have you put into this family? We all know that, I don't know, there may be drug abuse and alcohol abuse happening within the family home. We know that the children are at risk, there's vulnerability, there's neglect. What support has gone in? And there's, there's not the capacity from outside agencies to provide the support that you would like them to provide. Um, And then with this external pressure around results and lead tables, it just leads our teachers sometimes to be in a very difficult position. I have a friend who had to try and teach a class of of not all boys, but a lot of them are boys um, and young black boys after one of them was stabbed and, and killed. Cuba Shan Baptiste. And sort of having to continue education and teaching them as if nothing has happened or as if they're not traumatised or if they might not now have their guard up um, because of that. It's, it's, it's just a really difficult thing. And I think that's, that's one of the issues with the system itself. It doesn't give people an actual chance um, to do well. It's sort of like, if you're out, then you're out and that's your fault. But you're a child. You're, you don't know what's going on in the world. You have no experience. You're literally just trying to survive. So, and I think because of the way that a lot of well, boys in general, but black boys in particular are socialized, it's difficult for them maybe to speak up about the things that they're feeling vulnerable about, the things that they're afraid of, which is a big part of the reason that we keep seeing so many children sort of succumb to really unfortunate circumstances, whether it's sort of gang violence or whether it's, yeah, being excluded and sort of just left to fend for yourself at too early an age. It's a, it's a societal problem and it's about politics. It's what sort of society do we want to live in? And I don't think it helps having, you know, a political party who, whose politicians on the whole who are in charge and making decisions haven't actually been to a 
a mainstream school I think it's I think we need to integrate society a lot more and as a whole we need to take our responsibility for everyone in it and assure that no one is falling through those gaps um, but other people have a different view there are so many studies about all the issues and all the biases that affect uh, black children in particular and all and lots of different types of children as well and I think if we sincerely engage with that both at a sort of a local level as well as a government level, then we could see some change. So I feel like Gavin Williamson, for example. Gavin Williamson is the Secretary of State for Education. He was asked to consider the effects of the of bias um, with the A-level system by the Runnymede Trust. And as far as I know, he has not done that still. I wanted to ask you, do you like notice any common like behaviour patterns in the young people that you work with? One major example that I've noticed is a lack of trust. Sam Olabaji. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in that age group and in the service I work in, there's a big, big lack of trust for professionals. Do you think that's just because a lack of, like, understanding or, or them not being able to express themselves properly? Absolutely, man, 100%. Should I give you an example? Like, a yeah. lot of kids, so there's, there's been a few kids specifically who were notorious. There's one that I work with now, you know what I'm saying? And they had a bad name. I had people saying, oh, he's this, he's that, you know, he's done this, he's done that, he's threatening, he's violent, he's this. And the thing is, like, when you meet him, when I met him, sorry, I should say, mm. I was like, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> like, this, yeah. me, me, like, he's... He's like Mandem. He's he's cool. He's just cool. <laughs> and and part of the reason I think part of that is you know I showed him he could trust me because yeah. if I said I was going to do something I was going to do something. I don't know, man. Like I, I just think that there's there's a lot of work to be done system wise instead of always blaming the kids and instead of always saying the kids are yeah. bad. I think the system needs to change. They need the to work on themselves as well. Hundred, hundred. The legislation needs to change to a large extent. So, yeah, man. The system, not trying to give no black youths a chance right now, you know what I mean? So what advice do you have for teachers working with students? Like teachers working with you? students, oh my days. Stop trying to be too harsh on us, man. You know what I mean? Stop being harsh on us. Not everyone is the same. Not everyone can learn the same. Literally. And to all the students, you got to work with your teachers as well, man. If you can sit down with your teacher and work with them, your teacher got to work with you as a student. So it just all goes hand to hand. But yeah, man, we got to work with each other. If we don't, we're not going to achieve nothing. I'm out. Thank you for listening to Vent Documentaries. I've been your host, Nora. Vent Documentaries are produced by Jess Lawson and Arlie Adlington with help from Emilia Gill, Mawid Majid, and Kamaya Shea. Our music is from WMP Studios. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020, London Borough of Culture. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.